kill me. Okay, so today we're going to focus on suicide. Um, I have a guest here with me, Angela. Thanks for coming. She's a marriage and family therapist as well. So we'll talk about the subject of suicide um, from a helping professional's perspective and how it is uh, represented in the media. So um, for the past four or five months, I've been in this position as a crisis counselor where I answer for the National Suicide Hotline. And so I have calls all the time as far as people calling in, not wanting to live anymore, wanting to take their own lives. And what do you do with that? I'm often getting calls from even third party individuals, parents, friends that are concerned about their friends who are um, coming to them saying that they're having these thoughts and they're unsure of what to do in that moment. So I definitely want to touch on that and just by the end of this episode, give some tips to, to address that. But just from my experience in working um as a crisis counselor and knowing the desperation behind that and the hopelessness that that individuals feel i definitely wanted to touch on that too logic um had a song that just came out i think april of this year and the name of the song is actually the number for the national suicide prevention lifeline which is the 1-800-273-8255 and that song he basically constructed it in a way that the guy is calling in for help. So he's basically calling the lifeline saying that he doesn't want to live anymore. And by the end of the song, he he's given his hope is reinstored or restored. And he's able to see that there, there is life after this situation that he's experiencing and the individual in the video, there's a music video too, where the guy's gay. And so he doesn't want to live because he's being bullied because he's attracted to this uh, male, of course, and that's unacceptable. And so he doesn't feel that there's any other way around it. And then by the end of the video, he's marrying this guy and they have a wonderful family together. And so I thought that that was very powerful for him to create a song that raised the awareness of that topic and, and how prevalent it is, but how often it's not talked about being a, a taboo topic. And so working at the crisis line, we were able to uh, figure out the numbers around when the song came out, because when the song came out, we, we uh, got a ton more calls, obviously. So my job actually sent out a little memo and I'll read it here as far as the statistics around what happened when the, um, when the song was released. So on the day of the song's release, which was April of this year, the line received the second highest daily call volume in its history at the time. We received over 4,500 calls that day which was an increase of 27% when compared to the average volume of the same day of the week for the previous three weeks. So the three weeks before the song came out, every Tuesday or whatever day April 28th was, we had received a pretty normal amount of calls around this topic. But after the song had came out, it definitely increased by up to 27%. There was no reason besides that outside of this call. I've gotten calls or outside of this song. I've even gotten calls because we often ask, how did you hear about the the hotline and they would mention this song did you know the song by logic and so i thought that that was very powerful um another statistic here says that on august 28th the following uh the day following logic's performance of the song on the mtv video music awards the lifeline received over 5,000 calls a surge in call volume that exceeded the volume received on the uh, song's release date a call volume has remained at a higher level initially established on the song's release date so even after the song was released and we had that surge of uh, calls, months down the road, it's we are still getting more and more calls the, the more this song is out there. So I felt that that was very powerful for him to be able to, you know, use this creative 
piece to introduce this topic to the world. So I guess now I'll just have Angela ask me a few questions that I think are commonly asked or frequently asked of individuals surrounding the topic of suicide. Well, the first question I want to ask is what should you do if someone tells you they're thinking about suicide? Okay, so if someone comes to you saying that they're having those thoughts of suicide, first thing to do is to take it seriously um, and understand that this is a preventable matter. So by taking it seriously, you want to definitely validate their thought process and just normalizing that in the sense that this is something that a lot of people think of when they're desperate and they have that sense of desperation, a means to an end. And with a lot of people, it, it happens to be that they feel that that's the only option. And a lot of people, before they do um, attempt to take their own lives, they often reach out. So that's like a warning sign that they need help to get through that moment. Um, that feeling of hopelessness, that inability, inability to see an alternative solution. So I guess that, you know, I, I was going to ask you, why do people attempt suicide? Mm-hmm. Um, does that kind of answer that or is there more to that? Um, well, there's a number of reasons because some individuals may be suffering from mental illness and mental illness doesn't necessarily mean schizophrenic, bipolar. I mean, depression is a mental illness. Anxiety is a mental illness. Um, and so that coupled with substance use or substance abuse, um, the emotional deprivation that they must feel at that time, not feeling supported. And once again, that all goes back to that sense of hopelessness. What are the most common methods of suicide? So the most common method is a gun. Over 50% of individuals use a gun to, to end their own life, mostly white men, because it's a very lethal source. Um, a lot of women, on the other hand, tend to use other avenues like self-poisoning if, if they were having thoughts of suicide. And so you always want to make sure to remove those means, those, um, those ways of committing the act to sort of make sure that that person isn't acting impulsively just because they have those thoughts. Why do men complete suicide more often than women do? Uh, it goes back to the means that they choose to use. So men, like I said, tend to use um, more lethal sources like firearms and women actually attempt suicide more. But men actually complete it due to the source that they use, um, which is weapons or guns. So who is at risk or, or who is at the highest risk for suicide in the United States? The highest risk, individuals who are highest at risk are the white ethnic group, mostly men in, in their older age. Um, mental illness definitely plays a role in that, as well as uh, there's been a rise in the youth. Two, it's higher among middle-aged, older adults, though, in the end. I find that really fascinating that it would be um, culturally more of a white man's suicide is more of a white man thing mm -hmm. where they complete it because of their lethality, where other everyone has access to guns, right. it seems like, these days. So That's true. Why, why, is, it that why is it that group rather than other groups? Mm. You know what I mean? That's a good question. Is suicide related to impulsiveness? Definitely. Um, impulsiveness is definitely that ability to act almost in the moment. Is that the best way to describe that? Impulsiveness? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, without that, it, statistics have shown that if an individual isn't acting on impulse, they're typically not going to go through with acting on the thoughts that they're having. Um, some of the symptoms from mental disorders also um, increase their impulsivity. 
So individuals who are suffering from like borderline or um, bipolar, those sort of things are linked to suicide due to their increase in impulsivity or their deep or yeah, their increase in impulsivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, because they're susceptible. Uh, they have depression. Both of those mm-hmm. have depression in them as part of their um, issue. And then you add on more problems along with that. And it just makes the problem a little bit bigger for them. Mm-hmm. Um do people attempt suicide to prove something or to get sympathy? No, they don't, actually. And I think a lot of people, like, think that. Like, oh, they're just reaching out for help or or they're just reaching out for attention as opposed to reaching out for help. So I would definitely say to never ignore it. In fact, I think people don't want to have sympathy in that sense. You know what I mean? They're reaching out. They're already feeling weak and having to reach out for help and support. So by by expressing that thought... I definitely don't think it should be ignored or ever just uh, dismissed as someone reaching out for attention. Um, I want to go back a little bit to that previous uh, question and the impulsiveness issue. Mm -hmm. Um, Thinking of alcohol and substance abuse, how does that factor into that impulsivity to um, die by suicide or attempt suicide? Okay. And so with alcohol and other substances, it definitely lowers your inhibitions or your ability to inhibit yourself from acting on certain things. So that also just increases the the um, the impulsivity. And then with depression and suicidal behavior and the fact that that's linked to the serotonin in your brain, if you want to go that far and even looking at it that way, those receptors and the activity in the person with major depression that is actually increased. And so with those levels of serotonin um, being increased, it almost gives them that ability to to be more impulsive because they have the energy to do so, if that makes sense. Well, I think their depression is em- uh, emphasized. So they have an increase in their depression because of the alcohol that they yeah, consumed or the drugs. So their depression is even deeper than it normally would be. And so somebody who wouldn't necessarily attempt suicide Mm -hmm. for the situation, but because they drank alcohol or they took in a substance, their depression has become that much deeper and Mm -hmm. hopeless at that moment where once the alcohol passes, they might not feel like that. But at this moment in their impulsiveness, they would or could attempt Yeah. And that's 100 percent true, because even with most of the calls I get, a lot of those individuals are intoxicated. And at Mm -hmm. the moment, they feel that they're definitely going to act on that thought. And you're right in the fact that even alcohol itself is a depressant. So, yeah, you're Mm -hmm. drinking it because you're depressed and it gives you this false sense of elation or maybe even a true sense of elation. But then it hits with the true side effects, which is the depressant part of it. And it definitely puts you in that place of hopelessness. Apart from talking to a suicidal person and encouraging him or her to go for counseling, what else can we do to prevent this? I think the best thing is to talk about it. A lot of people think that it will. If I talk about it, it's going to increase the chances, which is actually the opposite. The more we talk about it, especially to the individual that's considering it or having the thoughts, the less likely they are to act on it because they're able to express the emotion behind it and being able to express your concerns for the individual and letting them know that there's at least somebody else out there that's supportive for them. Cause a lot of times they feel lonely. They don't feel like anybody in the world, you know, they don't have that connection to anyone. So just being that sounding board for them is is definitely helpful in in, in, or decreasing those thoughts. 
Yeah, I think one of the most important things that I've learned recently is the idea of just asking. Mm-hmm. That people who are um, thinking of suicide will generally tell you. Mm-hmm. If you ask, they will tell you. And they will tell you if they have a plan. And they will tell you what they've thought about. Yeah. And they will be open about it. And opening that line of communication is huge mm-hmm. in helping that individual to um, to just talk about it. Yep. Yep. And that's exactly because it's such a taboo topic. Like I said, a lot of people are often viewed as weak or even themselves view themselves as such because they're having these thoughts. I mean, I've gotten people breaking down on the line. I mean, using the exact things that I've heard in that song. I don't want to die anymore. I I mean, I don't want to live anymore. There's nothing else out here for me. You know, Mm -hmm. just feeling like that is definitely debilitating and it leads to, to those thoughts. Right. And opening up and being able to talk about it open mm-hmm. starts to bridge that communication yep. piece that is so important to mm-hmm. them that they need to talk about mm-hmm. it. Normalizes it, too, in a sense. So why do people attempt suicide when they appear to be feeling better? OK. And so when they usually when people are depressed and they're at their lowest moments, they're in the bed, they're not trying to get up. They don't have the motivation or the energy to do so to even act on the thoughts that they're having. So when they do start to feel better and they're able to get out and into the world, doesn't mean the thoughts aren't there. And now they have enough energy to actually act on their thoughts. And so they may appear to be feeling better when in reality, they're feeling well enough to commit the act, if that makes sense, which is that's disheartening in itself. Because you think that they're getting better from the outside and like, oh, well, they're not depressed anymore. They're moving around. But that's the whole point of talking about it and knowing right. where their mind state is, not just what you see from the outside. Right. So why don't people talk about mental illness, illness like depression, bipolar disorder, and suicide? Why don't people ever talk about these issues? Like I said, it's a stigma. Mental illness in itself has a stigma on it that, you know, that's something that you're not supposed to talk about or religious purposes of being able to um, heal all of that through a certain place or those are only things that you talk about at home and their lack of understanding. A lot of people don't understand that. It's not just the act that they're trying to commit. You know what I mean? It's definitely, like I said, it always goes back to what's underneath that and understanding that, you know, it's that emotion behind that. And a lot of people automatically want to go to, don't do it. You know, you have so much to live for and you're just saying things that the individual doesn't agree with. So it's not resonating with them. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't have anything to live for. I don't want to ask that question. What's your reasons for living? In that moment, a lot of people don't think that they have a reason to live. Mm-hmm. Or if they do, it almost it's almost um, resentful in the fact that if I didn't have my kids, I wouldn't be here. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're right. the only thing keeping me alive in, in a negative sense. So even asking them those kind of questions could be um, a step in the wrong direction, so to speak. And like I said, it's that fear of looking weak or looking crazy or lesser than. And then you have those cultural pieces, too, that go into it. That um, it's definitely more than one thing, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. So what does suicide contagion mean and what can be done to prevent that? OK, so suicide contagion is basically acting off what you see. And so just because it's in the media, um, it's more prevalent and people think about it more. So I guess just as if, if it's in your environment, I guess, so to speak, could you elaborate a little more on that? I think I have some stuff there. Um. Well, suicide contagion is the exposure to suicide or suicidal behaviors within one's family, peer groups, or through media reports of suicide and can result in an increase 
in suicide and suicidal behaviors. Mm -hmm. Direct and indirect exposure to suicidal behavior has been shown to precede an increase in suicidal behavior in persons at risk for suicide, especially in adolescents and young adults. The risk for suicide contagion as a result of media reporting can be minimized by factual and concise media reports of suicide. Uh, reports of suicide should not be repetitive, as prolonged exposure can increase the likelihood of suicide contagion. Mm-hmm. Uh, suicide is the result of many complex factors. Therefore, media coverage should not report oversimplified explanations, such as recent negative life events or acute stressors. Mm-hmm. Reports should not indulge or should not divulge detailed descriptions of the method used to do, to avoid possible duplications. Mm-hmm. Uh, reports should not glorify the victim and should not imply that suicide was effective effective in achieving a personal goal, such as gaining media attention. Mm-hmm. In addition, information such as hotlines or emergency contacts should be provided for those at risk for suicide. Following exposure to suicide or suicidal behaviors within one's family or peer group, suicide risk can be minimized by having family members, friends, peers, and colleagues of the victim uh, evaluated for a mental health by a mental health professional. Mm -hmm. Persons deemed at risk for suicide should then be referred for additional mental health services. Um, While I'm reading this, I um, am thinking about that television show, uh, 13 Reasons. Yes, I was thinking the same thing. That's exactly what happened there. Mm -hmm. And we even just read another article about there being a season two and a, a father trying to stop that because he feels that his daughter watched that and committed the act because of that show. And it's, Right. We talked a little bit about how that exposure to her didn't give her the thought of suicide. It never had her, or um, I don't think it placed that that thought in her head. I think it definitely plays some role in it as far as her having the um, the bravery to follow through with it. But I don't think that it necessarily had anything to do with um, her committing the act. But that's exactly what that contagion that's exactly the piece that they're talking about because the dad does feel that if his daughter didn't watch that she would still be here right right well the the thought that you know well this person they they completed it they went through with it Mm -hmm. um you know my life's terrible I have no hope Mm -hmm. you know um well if my friend did this then maybe that's a way out for me Um, I know that locally there are some schools even in this area that are concerned about the high rate of teen suicide that has been Mm. uh, going on in the schools and they're trying to figure out how to combat it. Yeah. Yeah. And even thinking about the Facebook live, like there's been a lot of people committing suicide on live, you know what I mean? Right. Sort of taking their tips from other people and, and trying to get that media attention or even crying out you know, for help as far as uh, social media is concerned due to other people doing it. So I definitely see that piece of it being a contagion and um, and people sort of trying to reenact those things. But then you have news reports of like the 10 year old little girl who committed suicide because she was videotaped being bullied and being jumped. And so at 10 years old, you're considering this having not seen, you know, any of that in your life, but simply the the feeling that you're having of not being able to return to school completely embarrassed you know um not being able to to regain her reputation or just that feeling of hopelessness of not being able to bounce back from that at 10 years old she committed suicide so even the way that the media portrays it and the fact that it is fairly prevalent I mean I've definitely been seeing a lot more about it and so that's why I thought it would be important to have this 
discussion on what to do. You know what I mean? Now that we have all that information about the awareness behind it, what to do in those situations when individuals reach out to you. And I think a lot of that is understanding the emotion behind it, understanding that sense of hopelessness that they're experiencing when you go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, when you're talking about the 10 year old girl, um, I remember seeing recently there was a boy who had a girlfriend and the girlfriend, he talked about suicide and she kept pushing him and pushing him and pushing him until he did commit suicide. What? Yeah. He died by suicide. And um, they were trying the girl, the girlfriend, for having uh, pushed him and pushed him mm, um, mm-hmm. because she was telling him, "If well, if you're, you know, you're all talk, you're all talk. If you're going to do it, do it kind of thing. Jeez. And, yeah, it was horrible. Mm-hmm. And, and he was young, too. He was like 12 years old, 11 years old. And I think that this is something that we don't, uh, you know, even as therapists, we don't think about. I mean, I could be wrong. I don't speak for everyone. But um, we don't think about children in feeling suicidal. Mm -hmm. We don't think about how our children at those ages could even think about something Mm -hmm. like that. And yet here we have, you know, youngsters who are doing it, who are who are not even in their young adolescent yet. They're Mm -hmm. they're still pretty. They're they're still way before that. Yeah. Small, young. Yep. And even that goes back to that emotional regulation, though, and being taught that at an early age, how to express that emotion and what you're really feeling behind that. You don't hear a three-year-old saying, I'm depressed, but there definitely can be three-year-olds out here that are experiencing depression. Yeah, absolutely, or who want to die, you know, Mm -hmm. because they're not in a safe place or they're, you know, because children are more susceptible, if anything, I would think, to Mm -hmm. not wanting to live because of that issue with they're in a situation that is not healthy, mm-hmm. whether it's at home, school, bullying, whatever it yeah. is, and they have no way, no safe way to express themselves mm-hmm. and to talk about the the problems that are going on. The impact of it, too. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they where are they going to go if mm-hmm. they read out the situation that they have at home that has got them this depressed, where right. they want to die? Where are they supposed to go? Yep. That's so true. And that's powerful, too, in the fact that that's the importance of the communication piece and and having that talk and understanding that because a lot of people, like I said, don't have, like you said, he's going and being vulnerable to his girlfriend of all people, right? expressing those thoughts and feelings. And so a lot of people are sort of hesitant to even express that in fear of what they're going to get back, you know, reaction wise or, Oh, you're always saying that you're just reaching out for attention. Right. When in reality, that little young man should have gone and talked to a teacher, talked mm-hmm. to an adult, talked to somebody else rather yep. than the girlfriend right. who was, you know, not obviously not helpful. Yeah, she wasn't capable of being able to touch where he was at, you know, emotionally. Right. Well, she wasn't emotionally there. She She's wasn't. a child herself. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I want to even now give some tips into what to do when you have a friend or a family member or anyone significant other who's coming to you and expressing having those thoughts of suicide. The first thing I would say is using parts language. And what I mean by that is there's always a part of somebody who's reaching out. Talk to that part that's reaching out, not the part that's desperate and wanting to die. Talk to the part that's looking out and seeking help because they're going to call in and give you every reason in the book as to why they don't want to live and why they have every reason to have the thoughts that they're having. And you want to validate that. You definitely want to validate that person's thoughts and feelings, but you want to invalidate the action. So, yeah, I can understand that you're feeling this sense of hopelessness and that you can't see another way out. But there's a part of you that's reaching out to me now. And I want to talk to that part 
because that part's resilient and understanding that this is just a moment in time and that it's going to pass. I don't want you to act uh, and make a permanent decision off of temporary emotions and feelings. So you definitely want to start with the negative and understand them and join them and, 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 and share that with them. But you want to move and sneak in the more positive and, and to make it stronger and definitely reminding the individual that they're in control. You know, you're you're in control of what's going to happen here. You definitely have the power to not act on those thoughts. I know that it feels unbearable. You don't see alternative solution, but you have the power. And by eliminating some of those means, we're making it harder for you to act impulsively on those thoughts and making it harder for you to to let that part of you that wants to commit the act letting that part win you know we want to make it harder for that part to win harder for the sad part to take over another piece that I definitely advise individuals to do is to um like I said eliminating the means and we talked a little bit about or I'm not sure if you read but even the bridge example of um how they uh raised the height of the bridge a bridge that was known for people committing suicide by raising they put in uh they put in um these uh encroach these I would, little bumper things. It I wasn't a bumper to... thing. It was something that went out on the side of the bridges that made it so that if someone attempted, they were just going to jump into. It sounded like it was just going to d- jump into a fence or something. Okay, it, it was uh, like that. So mm-hmm. it might have been an up and down thing, but I think yeah. it was a more under the bridge kind of thing. Okay, and so even if they did, out, it would... yeah, they weren't going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but that a bridge that was right near it that would also have accessibility. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it was higher. It was at the stomach. Instead yeah. of being at the stomach level, it was at chest level for mm-hmm. a tall man. So someone, it would take a lot more effort mm-hmm. and a lot more planning to actually get over that part of it because mm-hmm. it was not accessible to just jump over. Right, exactly. Right. So the bridge that was at waist level, they, they built something on it so that it was no longer easily mm-hmm. accessible to jump into the ravine. Yeah. And that just goes to show, oh, and then the other example about the ovens, I'm not sure if you read that, but back in the days, mm-hmm. have the coal ovens or whatever. Yeah, it was coal ovens in, in, uh, in, Brit- in Great Britain mm-hmm. and uh, people in the 50s and 60s would put their heads in the oven and die by suicide. Mostly women. Mostly women. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. That self-poisoning then, piece that I was talking about. Yep. And uh, as soon as they went and changed from coal to gas and uh, got rid of the coal, um, there was no more uh, because coal actually produces carbon monoxide, monoxide, um, which, as we know, is a deadly gas that you don't smell. Mm -hmm. So when uh, they went from the coal to natural gas, suicides dropped Mm -hmm. dramatically Mm -hmm. and have stayed down ever since then, all because they had gotten rid of the the means. And so that's the important factor there is eliminating those means because they're acting impulsively on the thoughts. And so it's not like they have a plan for after the plan. You know, it's just in that moment. That's how they feel. It's right here in my face. I'm going to do it. And so I think that's an important piece, too, of always trying to eliminate eliminating the means. But then, like I said, making sure that you're having those open conversations and being able to touch the emotional piece behind those thoughts, because it's definitely the emotion that leads to the thoughts. People just don't wake up having those thoughts. Typically, they don't. There's always a feeling behind it. They feel hopeless. They feel empty. They feel helpless, frustrated, angry. So you definitely want to normalize those feelings and and that confusing. Yeah. Those mixed emotions. Yeah, definitely saying, how can I be supportive for you at this time? What can I do to to help to move you to a place where 
these thoughts aren't so powerful? How can we distract ourselves from those thoughts? Because normalizing it in the fact that having the thought isn't the bad thing. The thought Mm -hmm. itself is not the bad thing. And so I think that that's a lot of people is a red flag when they hear that their babies, you know, are are having that or or is having that thought. It's automatically we got to keep them safe. Let's hospitalize them. And by jumping to that conclusion, you know, that individual don't for one doesn't want to be hospitalized. You know, Mm -hmm. who wants to be taken away and put into seclusion, so to speak. To, so right. that they can keep themselves safe. So you don't necessarily want to always jump to that conclusion. You because then they're not going to trust you and they're not going to tell you mm-hmm. how they're actually feeling if that's going to always be the go-to. Exactly. Yep. And so that's the whole point of just having that conversation of mixed emotions and letting them know, expressing your concerns of, you know, I really care about you. And that's why I want to talk to you about this. I know that you're having these thoughts. Tell me more about that. Reframing those thoughts of, um, of suicide expression and the desperation that's behind it. Because how... You know, you have to feel that sense of desperation if that's your only means of, of ending the pain that you're in. A lot of people mm-hmm. are in so much emotional pain that they see no other way out besides physically ending it. Right. And that's why you also have the individuals who cut. And that's a slippery topic, too, because it's like I'm not cope, I'm not cutting to to end my life. I'm, I'm cutting to cope with the emotional pain that I'm feeling inside. Right. And so even having that discussion of let's talk about lesser, lesser lethal means to, to doing that. Mm-hmm. Or being able to have that conversation to discuss those emotions as opposed to coping with them by cutting. Um, and so those are just some of the things, like I said, definitely confirming and validating and then invalidating the action itself. Because you don't want anybody to act um, impulsively in creating a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add on this as far as suicide well, and emotion i just wanted to uh talk about um when we're talking about you know validating their feelings and things you know one other thing to do is to um also talk to them about remembering good times things mm. that have been positive in their lives in the mm-hmm. past and and uh, you know maybe finding other things that they enjoy mm-hmm. in life yeah. that that they can remember and that might help to distract them Right. And just reminding them. Of course. Yes, definitely. Like using the solution focus model. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, how can we fix this? Not fix it, but how can we alleviate the pain that you're feeling right now? Let's think about times where you weren't in this much pain and how that felt and how you got through that or a time where you felt this way, but you got through it. You know, just giving them those those glimpses of hope and saying you are very resilient. You're able to get past this, although you're in it. It hurts when you're in it. And it's hard for anybody like the fishbowl effect to see a different way when you're in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. So just providing them the opportunities or the reminders that, hey, life is a journey. You know, there's going to be ups and downs. If it was a, a flat, you know, smooth sailing, you know, even with a heart monitor, a flat line is not a good thing. You know, you don't want a flat right. line. That's not no life. Flat line. Life is ups and downs. You're going to have those ups and downs. And right now you're down. It's going to take some effort and some, some ways to get up. And this won't be the last time you fall. How can we manage it in a way that when you do feel like this again, you have the, the, the means and the ability to cope with it and to move past it? Right. And so I definitely think uh, touching on, like I said, just validating and being able to move from that, the problem, the topic, the concern of the the thoughts to the emotion behind it and and focusing on that. Um, So I'll definitely put some links to some other information down here as far as the um, some of the articles that I've read around this and uh, the logic song. I think he even has a YouTube video where he explains the um, reasoning behind the song. Um, I hope that you guys found this very informative. Please like, share, and subscribe. Until next time, bye. So that concludes this episode of Talks with T. Do you feel me? Mm-hmm.